Hello everyone, Dilip Kiva here from Dexy, and this is Dow Talk with a wonderful guest that I'm going to announce in a second. Uh, remember, this is for the entire community. This is for everyone listening, so raise a hand, uh, or better yet, put something in the comments. I'll be happy to read it, and Alicia will be happy to answer it. Uh, speaking of Alicia, let's introduce today's guest. Alicia is uh, doing some amazing things with governors at ENS. I'm on many other cool things that uh, we'll talk about today. And I will basically gently shut up now and let her speak for herself. Uh, she's quite a fascinating guest. I'm really excited to have her here in the studio. Alicia, go ahead. Thanks, David. Yeah, I'm Alicia.Eighth, and I am governance lead at ENS Labs, which is effectively the core team behind the ENS protocol. And I joined ENS Labs just a couple of months before the ENS DAO was launched in November 21. And basically since then, it has been... <laughs> It has taken up like uh, an unimaginable amount of my mental and emotional capacity. And so I feel like governance is something that I am well-versed in and always excited to talk about. So excited to cover lots of different DAO topics um, with you today. So I'm personally a huge fan of ENS and we'll talk about that a lot. But um, first things first, from what I'm hearing, you're at ETH Barcelona. I've just been at ETH Barcelona. Can you tell us about that wonderful time? And everything is happening there. Obviously, not everything is happening there, but you know the highlights, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Wait, did you see my POF on my timeline? <laughs> uh, I did not get your POF. I don't know if I can since I'm not at East Barcelona. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's but definitely so. The timeline, yes. <laughs> the only requirement was that you had to say hello to me in real life. Um, oh. but yeah, so uh, I was just at East Barcelona and it was um a really great event. I think that. The reason that ETH Barcelona speaks to me in particular, and I was excited for ENS to sponsor and have a booth, uh, was because I feel like there are really strong kind of uh, like solar punk and regenerative vibes around ETH Barcelona. I don't know if you've ever been to Barcelona, the city, but it's an incredible city. Like it I is. Love Barcelona. The okay, city. good. <laughs> when I came to Barcelona last year, I was here for like a day and a half, and I messaged my husband and I was like, I think we should look into visas here because it's like. <laughs> such an incredible city um and i think just like it has such a grassroots feeling in terms of like all of the different causes with whether it's like political or environmental or you know there, there is always so much going on here and i think that really bleeds into the crypto community in barcelona or like the ethereum community in barcelona um and so i know we go to lots of ethereum conferences and you know it's always like the big um DeFi projects that are kind of center stage and things like that but I feel like you know the project that most people kind of think of or the projects that most people think of with ETH Barcelona are like give us or doing good and um, so it's just like a completely different vibe and I think ENS like the Ethereum uh, name service is a public good itself um, kind of fits in really well in that company and um, it's just like an aspect of ENS that I don't think it's enough attention just the fact that it is a public good. And so it's nice to be there in that company and kind of um, with those peers in terms of projects. So uh, it's amazing that it, I mean, obviously uh, the Eco Steampunk or Eco Punk kind of uh, vibe is also amazing. Uh, we were talking about that in previous several DAO talks. And of course, Giveth, I'm a huge fan of. I get all, all the Giveth uh, tokens that, uh, that I get, all the gifts. I just immediately reinvest and lock up for the maximum of the period. I have no idea if I'm ever going to make money in that, but 
uh, to be able to boost projects with that and fund projects with that is uh, pretty awesome. <laughs> I, I hope to uh, to be making some difference with that, and I just love that concept. So huge fan of that. But as you mentioned, ENS also has a public good side. So let let's hear about that because all I know about ENS, and I'm you know simplifying it a bit, is that you know it's about the .dot ETH domain, um, probably the most known crypto domain uh, or DeFi domain at least out there had a great drop uh, and then what else right and you of course know a ton more and i mean okay and might know a bit more too than i'm letting on but still talk to us a bit about the public good side of ens yeah absolutely so i think just the fact that uh ens was born was created by nick johnson who is nick girl eve uh when he was at the ef the ethereum foundation and then um, he was able to get a grant from the EF to spin out ENS as its own project and and work on it. Um, but from its very um, kind of origin, it was always intended as a public good. Um, and I think that is um, in large part because of the birthplace, like being effectively like the Ethereum Foundation and Ethereum. I mean, it's hard to... Ethereum might be, you know, like one of the greatest public goods of all time. Um, just like thinking that I think we're coming out to like the eighth birthday maybe validator validator eighth is in the audience I can see him he, he was there like when it first started um so he probably has more context than me but I just think that um this like uh the, and this is the thing that appealed to me about ENS as well um but it's just like a selflessness and being in a constant state of service I think that's what differentiates a, a project that is a or a protocol that is a public good to a project or a, a protocol that is a like a or as a company, obviously a protocol can't be a company, but if it's kind of like owned by a company. Um, and that basically means that when we build ENS, we build it in service of the protocol itself. And it's not to own it. There is like no ownership rights. And we are effectively are just like building this neutral piece of infrastructure. And it's an open source project. Anyone can contribute to it. We just happen to be, you know, like the on the team that created it. And so have the most context and continue to build and develop it. But I think for ENS in particular, this idea that it isn't owned by any central um, or single party, the fact that it's open source is like a, a critical component of that. And that also it isn't, um, I mean, it is really as, I think, like not opinionated as possible. So it can be interoperable and can be used like across, um, chains like across the internet um, basically the idea is wherever ENS can be used uh, wherever um, naming is needed ENS can be used and so when you just say like your idea of ENS is domains I think a lot of people start there and so that is something I totally understood when I came into the space I was like Alicia.eth it's like if I had Alicia.xyz um, and I imagine I can like make a decentralized website with it I think the tooling is like just starting to come along in that decentralized website space within the ENS ecosystem. Um, but I think this idea where with DNS and the internet, you have IP addresses and then we replace them with domain names because no one's going to go to Google by going to like 192.32.64.786. Um, but we can remember google.com. Just like no one is going to send an NFT to 0x75CAC. I literally can't remember the after the first couple of digits, I can't remember it, but but you could send something to ens.alicia.e. And so um, that, to me, it's 
kind of like double-edged in the sense that when you say domains, yes, you can like literally host a website, like a decentralized website with your ENS domain. Um, on Brave, it currently works if you just put in like a .eth. So you can go to Vitalik.eth on Brave and it will resolve his blog. Or if you were using any other any other browser like Chrome, you could go to Vitalik.eth.limo and .limo, .limo is a gateway that serves up um, .eth sites. And then there's like that double thing where I said where with a domain, you are basically replacing an IP address and making it human readable. And then with an ENS name as a domain, basically replacing a crypto address and making it human readable. So I feel like, you know, being a domain is like at the heart of um, what ENS is and it's a, a good starting off point. But I think my hope is that in the future, the kind of view of ENS is much more generalized. And so I think at the moment it's, you know, it's very early. Like we just celebrated our six, six year, um, like six years of ENS. And I think just in the last two years, honestly, this idea of a Web3 username, um, I don't know, you guys just heard of threads, right? So everyone like scrambling to threads and then realizing that the handle there was like, is dictated by your Instagram handle. And so then you like go back to Instagram, you're like, damn, okay. Um, anyway, so we play this username race game everywhere on the internet and ENS solves it. And, um, and I think that that makes sense because when we're talking about humans, most of us care to the extent it relates to us and so if it's to do with our name or like our username on the internet it's like very interesting to me because <laughs> I'm a human and I like my name um but I think in the future this idea that ENS can be used as a naming like a namespace or a naming system for any object like in <laughs> I can't even I can't even like begin to like do justice to what that really means but like any object could have an ENS name um, I think that's when ENS will like really be in a state where it's kind of um, hit escape velocity for identity and naming. Let's actually play with that a little bit because that's very interesting, right? So beyond obviously um, wallet addresses and, and websites and things like that, what else can be named? Are we talking IoT now? Are we talking? Oh yeah, big uh, time. We always talk about fridges. <laughs> right, we're always talking about fridges and toasters. That's the first place my mind goes, but. Uh, even beyond that, like, what are we talking? Are we talking about? Yeah, I mean, so so literally, like, uh, if you think of some, uh, if you think of like really old school industries, so maybe like logistics, um, education, uh, finance, all of these things, like anywhere there is a file name saved on a computer, anywhere there is like an entry that relates to something, um, like some piece of content could be linked to an ENS name. I think something that's so incredible is that ENS names can be um, linked to any piece of data that you like. So even on my name, like Alicia.e, I could add any kind of key value pair of data. So I might have like a bunch of um, data entries for, um, I might treat it like my passport. I might actually create passport.alicia.e. Obviously we're big on, you know, privacy and security and all these things. So I don't advise doing this, but it's just an example. Um, but like I might create, or like travel.alicia.e, say. And then I might create like a um an a, my own record for like um each place that I go to, and then I might upload a blog post for every place or a photo like that I save on IPFS and things like that. But you can really link any data to any to an ENS name, and um and this is like <laughs> I feel like I, I'm a little bit ahead of myself, but obviously when people ask me about like what the future is, I think it's going from like 
the personal to an, the impersonal. So like right now we're at the personal stage. It's all about usernames and things like that. The impersonal for me is like naming a bolt or a screw that is like in a car, um, giving it an ENS name and like every part of, you know, that thing has an ENS name that is related to other things. But, you know, all of these things, whether they're digital objects or physical objects um, or instances and things like that. Yeah, but that's very big picture. <laughs> that's actually what I was thinking of when you were saying that, uh, you know, maybe even given each smart contract or even each piece of a smart contract its own name. I think yeah. just calling on that name, right? Instead of uh, trying to integrate them together through whatever patchwork type of things, literally just everything has its address. And then whenever something new is built, it has its address and it could be called on in, you know, in some way um, by that name. Absolutely. We, we love that. Oh my gosh. We love smart contracts, smart contracts with ENS names. Um, we actually do this. So ENS.eth, you can go to etherscan and if you put in ENS.eth, um, it will like go to, um, the con like a contract and with the DAO as well, we, we use like ENSDAO.eth, which is the, I, I'm pretty sure ENSDAO.eth goes to the treasury. Um, controller.ens.eth is where all the registration fees go. You can like look these up all right now. It was funny. I was actually doing something. Um, I was doing like budgeting kind of stuff the other day. And I was like, oh, I wonder how much this multisig has in it. And I just like go to Etherscan. And instead of having to type in like the wallet address, I just go like ens ecosystem.pod.xyz. And it comes up with the ecosystem working group multisig. Um, or like uh, ens-hack.pod.xyz and it comes out with like the hack book. So we we like internally in-house, we use this absolutely for smart contracts. And I think from a safety perspective as well, it's really cool to see, you know, DAOs like Uniswap DAO um, passing proposals to name contracts, um, you know, all of their V3 deployments, getting that all aligned because another big aspect of ENS within the crypto ecosystem in particular um, I think it's just like the safety and security aspect of it. I think we've got this like whole thing around like don't trust, verify. Um, and if people know that Uniswap.eth um, is the official contract for Uniswap, then when someone presents you with like a swap that seems too good to be true and it's actually just trying to drain your wallet and it pops up in MetaMask that like this is like the wrong contract or it's not named Uniswap.eth. Um, I think that is like a huge service to this entire space and it'd be so cool to see more projects getting on board with that. Uh, I, I want to uh, continue on that because I just noticed the comment and this is probably for both of us because we're both very fast talkers to slow down a bit. Uh, for some listeners, it might be, I guess, a bit too fast to, to digest all of it. So I'll try to slow down. Um, this, just, this, is, uh, this is also a me problem because, and I apologize because I listen to podcasts at like 1.5 speed and I just, in my brain, I think that that's the speed that everyone speaks at. <laughs> this is me too, even when they sing, I do this way too fast, but, uh, for the sake of our audience, I'm going to try to slow down, force myself to slow down. We do have an hour. Well, no. uh, okay. But with that in mind, uh, what I wanted to, there's a couple things that came up. So, um. First of all, you know, everything, you know, follow the money, everything involves around money. Money has to be somehow involved, right? Everything needs to be somehow funded. Um, so this crazy idea just came into my mind. Everything can be named, right? Imagine in the world where every smart contract, every component, every address, every 
anything instruction oracle whatever you want has a, a dot eth name right uh do you see people paying sponsorship money to have like a contract named after them like a basic ethereum contract or the first ever contract for a cool new dao you know for maybe crunches next dao or for vitalik's next DAO, whatever it is uh to be named uh i don't know um uh, George Soros not ETH and George Soros Payne or you know uh, FA, you know, um, SBF Payne uh, whatever money he still has left after all the lawsuits uh, paying a million dollars for uh, whatever FTX drew brands to for FTX says uh, main smart country to be named after him or something or after CZ whatever it is yeah, I mean, I know in the real world, people love to stick their names on everything, especially people with lots of money. Um, so I see no reason why that wouldn't translate to the digital world. I think that that is like a really interesting idea. Um, and uh, yeah, could, could absolutely happen. I think the interesting thing with ENS as well is that um, because of subdomains or subnames, it basically means that you can kind of acknowledge, like give have a patron effectively but also still reference like the whatever it is that um you know the thing relates to in say like the same ens name and so that's kind of interesting um and i do think something in particular that this reminds me of is philanthropy so philanthropy is like one area that i also like when i first found out about ens this is probably one of the use cases that stood out to me the most which is just that uh, traditionally, I think it's pretty well known that you can like donate funds to an NGO and, you know, a portion of what you donate will reach kind of the cause, um, itself. And I think what's so great about ENS names, um, is that it basically gives you transparency and a direct line. I mean, part of crypto is like, uh, cutting out the middlemen and ENS does that at what will help do that really effectively. So being able to give like directly to a cause, knowing that this wallet belongs to someone. Actually, an example of this is um, Zach XBT Legal Fund uh, because you know Zach XBT does like an incredible um, service for the Ethereum community by tracking down scammers and things like that. He got sued by someone, and then people donated to his .eth name, and you know that it's going directly to him. Um, so, but yeah, just in general, I think like the naming of things and you're right like every single thing can be named like if you're thinking about the market for ENS like every single thing can be named that's it <laughs> like that's everything and now before moving into to a serious question do you see this as a kind of war between different domain name uh, management organizations and domains like you know dot crypto etc uh, or do you see this kind of like a big pie that everyone can have a piece of hmm. okay um well i actually just like answered this question in like a russian questionnaire that i did today um and it said like who are ens's competitors and when i think about ens's competitors i think that there's like a thought that is just in my head it's like the first time i'm saying it out loud so <laughs> it might be wrong but i'm just telling you like my raw unfiltered thoughts um for me, it's more like Google, Apple, Facebook, who like currently control um, like accounts and logins all over the internet. And 
I think that finding with Ethereum is kind of the ideal outcome in terms of username and um, login infrastructure like on the internet going forward. Um, when it comes to like other crypto domains, I think the thing that distinguishes ENS is, and this like kind of links back to the fact that it is a public good, is that this was never intended to like sell domains to make money to go in someone's back pocket. It was always intended to um, just like create this naming infrastructure. And the fact that there are registration fees on .eat names is just purely for um, kind of disincentivizing squatting, just like traditional DNS names, so that, you know, the, the number of smart people that we have in the crypto space in particular who could write a bot and just like register every word or every like combination of um, letters and numbers and characters and emo like emojis and like everything, Unicode, um, would make the namespace unusable. And so there is like a registration fee to prevent that. But um, this idea with ENS that DNS is a critical and like fundamental part of the internet and, DN and ENS is complementary with DNS. So that means that, um, I don't know if you know Jesse Pollock from Coinbase. Um, he has jesse.xyz and he has imported his DNS.xyz domain into ENS and he actually uses it as like his identity in crypto. And if you went to MetaMask right now, you could send him like ETH or an NFT to jesse.xyz. So as far as I know, there's like no other name, there's no other like naming protocol or project or domain project that integrates DNS. I think this is such a huge testament to the values and mission of ENS itself. And um, I think this idea that with naming, the idea that um, you're basically, every time you create a domain, right, you're creating silos to the extent that the internet exists. So if I want to create um, a .xyz TLD in crypto, there's like going to be an obvious name collision with .xyz under the DNS system. And so most other projects, they just have maybe like a we'll deal with it when it happens or like that's the problem for tomorrow kind of attitude. Whereas like ENS understands that this is like a really important aspect like respecting um and trying to minimize name co naming collisions and so that's why dot eth is the only tld on ns um because it's a reserve it's reserved under the dns system for ethiopia as a country code so it means it's not going to get used um and well, i mean i don't know if it's not going to get used but it is reserved and it's currently not used um but yeah so when it comes to competition i think like I don't know, I guess like my vision for ENS is so big and so different to just like selling crypto domains that it's hard for me to stomach this idea that we have competition and that. Yeah, I mean, time will tell, but I like the attitude at least. And, and I'm going down this path because it's fun, but um, but now I'm going to bring it a little bit back because, you know, it is a, a DAO talk, a live space and... Uh, and, you know, at least the general idea is talk about DAOs. And as it happens, which is not at all a coincidence, ENS, last I checked, is a DAO. So I would love to hear from you. Uh, and I know you're a delegate, so I'm going to talk about that later too. But in general, um, kind of a insider view, insider perspective of ENS as a DAO, how it functions as a DAO, what makes it special, what makes it work, uh, what you learned about DAOs by working within ENS. 
uh, as far as I know, as far as I believe at least, uh, ENS is uh, a successful DAO and, and definitely an interesting example for others to look up to. Thanks. I think that, um, yeah, the DAO experiment for ENS, I would class as largely successful to date. Um, so I can see Evan on the space as well. And I, I just went um, on a Twitter space with Evan a couple of weeks ago and I talked about how the logic behind launching the DAO for ENS was further decentralizing the number of decision makers from the seven key holder multisig to, you know, tens of thousands of wallets um, who have kind of contributed and contributed to or interacted with ENS um, at, well, at the time the DAO launched. And um, from that perspective, I think it's been relatively successful. I think the delegate program in general has basically been fundamental um, and critical in the success of the ENS DAO. Just acknowledging that um, most people don't want to participate day to day or month to month or even year to year in the decisions, like in the governance decisions that relate to ENS. And honestly, like, I don't feel they should have to. Um, and I think that being able to delegate your voting power to someone who has expressed an interest to be active and engaged is like, uh, results in better outcomes for the protocol itself. Um, but yeah, I think the delegate system is probably one of the, um, most important aspects of ENS. I also think like ENS is in a really lucky position that it just like generates revenue in terms of ETH from dot ETH registrations and I think that that puts the ENS DAO in a different position from many other DAOs so there is a token the purpose of the token is governance that is the only utility of the ENS token it's to vote on governance proposals and um and then in terms of like paying for or compensating or funding entities that are doing work related to ENS like ENS labs who um I work for that can be done with um, ETH or ETH sold into USDC or any other stablecoin. And um, and the token really is just kept for the purpose of governance, which I think is pretty novel in the Ethereum ecosystem. It actually is pretty interesting because every time there's a token, right, especially when it's dropped, like, uh, like uh, Ines was dropped, um, there's this usually some pressure on it being a revenue stream right on, on trying to maximize its price and whichever way possible and all of that so i wonder have you seen this pressure from various DAO members or institutions or whatever it is uh on the outside and inside uh to uh, make it um some sort of a revenue generating mechanism for the holders of the DNS token, whether, you know, by distributing dividends from those EQs or in some other way, or are the holders more so, you know, the ones who truly believe into it and want to govern are holding out to the token and the ones who don't just sell it to those who do. What kind of situation you observing? Yeah, I think something that colors this is the fact that ENS Labs never had, um, and ENS never had any investors, um, because it was funded purely by grants. And so even with the token distribution, you'll see with like a lot of these distribution charts that on average, I would say like 20% gets distributed to investors. And so um, ENS didn't have this. 
And I think that relieves like a lot of that pressure on, I don't know whether it's like the price or a return or things like that. In terms of dividends and, and things like that, I think it's like very clear that from a legal perspective that you don't want to be in a situation where you, like your governance token or your DAO token is um, a financial instrument and by generating revenue or promising profits or anything like that, that you're like almost like guaranteed at some point to get in trouble with the SEC. Um, and so I think the nice thing about ENS, and I think this also stems from Nick, uh, Nick Johnson, the founder, is that the values are so set that um, that it's really hard to just stay really aligned to our mission and our true um, and our core values, which is just that the token is just um, for voting on the protocol of the treasury and that's its purpose. And um, and then also it's further relieved by the fact that the protocol generates revenue um, and so it doesn't have to generate kind of any sort of it doesn't have to generate anything from the token itself um but yeah I, again i just feel like ns is a project and a dow was born with like a lot of unfair advantages when kind of being compared to other projects in the space it's kind of like being born like a seven foot tall person and playing basketball <laughs> i mean these days that that may even be a disadvantage right <laughs> uh, but but yeah i get what you're saying it's, it's definitely better than my five foot nine, uh, five foot seven <laughs> even framework. But I see, I'm even exaggerating yet. Just you know, there's no purpose. But okay, you actually raised another interesting point. Of uh, as a delegate, and of course, you are a delegate of ENS. Uh, how do you differentiate yourself? How do delegates in ENS differentiate themselves in terms of, like you said, uh, the values are pretty clear, the values are pre-aligned, uh, and of course, you know, delegates at least theoretically, really do care about the ecosystem and the mission values and act in those interests. Yet, uh, if I am, you know, just a regular ENS token holder, which delegates are a pick, how do I um, trust them with, uh, with my governance uh, by proxy uh, based on what? Uh, what are the differentiators that you, you're noticing or um, doing? Yeah, I think this is actually one area of weakness with um, ENS, probably not novel in the DAO space, but the majority of delegations have, were set with the initial um, airdrop claim because people, when they claimed the ENS airdrop, had to, at that point, um, delegate their tokens. A lot of those delegations have um, remained in place. And so people who were kind of campaigning to be delegates in November 21 are still kind of the major delegates of the DAO. Um, otherwise, I think just like building out the tooling and the, the platforms around delegate um, like delegate information. So we have agora.ensdao.org um, and then also on tally.xyz, they have like an incredible delegate platform and it links to people's Twitter accounts if you if they've uploaded it and you can see voting history because now like a certain amount of time has passed. But I think that when people choose delegates, something that just like as an observation they've taken into consideration is that uh, people are generally really accessible in Web3 and like in the Ethereum ecosystem. You see like people with open DMs. It doesn't matter if they're like the founder of a protocol or a gazillionaire. <laughs> like, they, like lots of people are really accessible in a way that they aren't in other um, industries. 
And then also, I think we have this culture where people like really feel um, comfortable just like saying what they really think and feel on Twitter. Again, um, I mean, I don't know what LinkedIn is like, but I feel like crypto Twitter is pretty, uh, well, can be like really authentic. And so you can, you know, get an understanding of when something happens. Okay, so like um, something just happened. This Arkham platform doing an airdrop and if you dock people's wallets and you can get more tokens and things like that. So I saw uh, ETH tweeting about this. I saw Adam Cochran.eth tweeting about this. You know, all of these people who have opinions about whether it's like ENS or Ethereum or other projects in the ecosystem, they're normally like quite visible on Twitter. Um, and you, I think, are able to like get an idea of their values and how they think about things from that. And then the other side of the, that is also like, do they turn up to vote? Um, because that's always good to have an a, in a delegate, just like someone who participates in voting. I think ENS is interesting because we don't compensate delegates. And uh, my personal position is that I don't think that delegates should be compensated. I think that it leads to like further wall building and it basically makes it more difficult to, for people to break into kind of like that pool of compensated delegates. Whereas if it's unpaid work, people just like turn up because they care that we're building this public good which is a critical piece of infrastructure that everyone is going to rely on. Um, I think that means that like on any given day, anyone could like walk into the forum or turn up on Twitter or in a space and just like make a case for themselves. Um, and I think that for me, aside from like transparency and openness, I think that um, accessibility is like the one of the most important values of ENS and the ENS DAO. That's a very novel approach. Uh, I'm just translating it to the web two delegates, you know, gay politics, where you know, you imagine like a presidential candidate or a senatorial candidate or whatever it is, saying yes, I, I definitely believe that uh, senators, presidents, etc., should not be compensated. Uh, we're public servants. We don't want your money. We're doing this for the other country. If, if only we live in a world like that in web two, but uh, in web three, I really do believe there's a chance to, to make that happen or, and at least at this point I definitely see enough people like you said that the higher up the food chain they are the more open they are the more true believers they are of this and super encouraging but I do wonder you know as far as incentives go um so like not all delegates are created equal uh in terms of their expertise for example and also not um not all um governance token holders are necessarily only motivated by um, purely uh, altruistic values. You know, they do um, want to benefit themselves too in some way. And those, I don't think they're mutually exclusive, but obviously this is more about what you think. So I'm curious, for example, in uh, in a DAO constructor that we're releasing soon, uh, it's really heavily focused on meritocracy and having different experts who prove themselves experts in their specific fields getting more voting power and giving more rewarding power to those uh, token holders that delegate to them, right? So for example, if you're an expert in legal or an expert in tech, then those votes relating to legal or those votes relating to tech uh, would uh, give more weight to your expertise once it's been uh, voted on by the DAO, once you've been sort of accepted by the DAO as an expert. And that in turn would give more rewards uh, of some sort to those who delegated to you. 
Uh, what do you think about systems like that? And by the way, be absolutely uh, free. Feel free, absolutely free to disagree with me completely and say it's the stupidest idea ever. <laughs> this is a very open discussion, uh, and I'm totally open to that. Yeah, I know that um, like attestations uh, based on expertise are, I think, like the coming wave in terms of like governance trends. I know that um, people feel very strongly about token weighted voting, um, basically creating like plutocratic environments where you just like have the most amount of money so you like get to control everything. I think the interesting thing is like you can have the most number of ENS tokens of any kind of holder outside an exchange, but they don't mean anything for governance unless you delegate them. And once you do delegate them, like that's all very transparent. Um, even if you do have like a non-doxed wallet, like a private wallet, so the second largest delegate in ENS is just like a random zero X address. Um, and they haven't voted yet, but they have like 200,000 ENS delegated, um, should they ever want to vote. And so I think that is kind of um, interesting. And then with the uh, attestation thing, okay, I, <laughs> I personally am not a huge fan of this at a DAO level. Um, so when it comes to DAO proposals, I um, am like yet to be convinced that this is um, like a better path forward. And part of this relates to the fact that when you create like this, these metrics around expertise, it just means that the people who are the best at playing the game of demonstrating, you know, whatever expertise they need to demonstrate to hit the metrics to like get the get the tick to get the vote or the token or what, get paid whatever it is those are the people that will be surfaced and will like win the game because all you're doing you know all we're doing is like creating games and people um then who are the best at playing the game win but is that the best outcome for the protocol or for the DAO I don't know I'm not convinced I just think that even if you look at DAOs that don't have like very strong social structures within the Ethereum ecosystem You'll see like a lot of, um, you kind of see this already with like proposals being put forward. Like I'm an expert in this, so therefore give me money. Um, I promise I'll do a good job for you because I'm an expert. Uh, okay, I get that. I think that's probably how the world works um, just normally. But something, for example, again, very specific to ENS. I have no idea how this works <laughs> outside of ENS. Like within ENS, we have like a community that is like, very loyal and committed just to ENS that and I'm kind of of the opinion that you can like source external experts but if there are people in the room and they might not have like the years of expertise but they have like more context than you could pay a lawyer to generate like over a two-month period it would cost like a stupid amount of money for example I like would rather try to kind of uplift grassroots community members or users or developers and things like that um and I wonder just like if this attestation kind of movement would then attract more of like that mercenary type of service provider and again like maybe that's fine because it's just like a DAO full of service pro service provider proposals but I don't know maybe I'm just like too attached to like the ENS community and ecosystem that that feels really impersonal to me maybe I mean, it's interesting, <laughs> right? Uh, because you know, let's say you have, you know, it's easier when you have ten or twenty members. When you get thousands and tens of thousands, you know, like ENS, it gets more difficult to 
uh, figure out who's a true expert on something when there's so many voices, right? And uh, yeah. are, are you worried at all that, you know, maybe without some sort of meritocracy verification in the transparent that way, of course, uh, it's the same kind of game, just the different, uh, different roles for it, you know, who can be most popular, who could um, talk the best DAO talk uh, or, you know, talk up the most ENS loyalty, for example, in this case, right? And, and say, yeah, I love ENS, ENS is in my blood. I, I really want the best for ENS. I have no idea how how legal strategies work at all, but I love ENS, so trust me on this. Like, who is this address that has the second most delegated votes and nobody knows? Like, what if the first vote they do is going to be a malicious one? You know, like, that seems a bit concerning. Yeah, yeah I think that this idea that like experts have to be at the decision making level is maybe where I feel the friction because I'm not saying that like experts absolutely can't be consulted and and things like that I just don't think we should kind of like defer to um people well it you know I, I mean going back to the very beginning of the space how we're like in Barcelona I feel like in Barcelona people are more engaged in say like the political environment than in a lot of places around the world. And I think that there is like a lot of value in the fact that like the people on the ground feel so strongly about this place. And um, that's not to say that you can't get expert advice on, you know, different things. But um, yeah, I just, you know, markets come and go and, um, prices go up and down and at the end of the day like if it's based on attestations from you know seeking expertise will that weather the storm I don't know and like are these people going to be here in like are they still going to be here in five years because I know people who have like participated in working groups who have been here four years already and they'll probably be here for for more years into the future um, whereas like we might have service providers that we pay to carry out specific tasks, either for ENS labs or the working groups. And once they get paid, they might just bounce. I mean, TBD, <laughs> but uh, let, let's continue this fight later on because it's an interesting one, but uh, <laughs> we only have like around 15 minutes left. And oh, then no, it's going so quickly. That, yeah, that's I'm like looking at the time. I just said, I want to spend another couple hours in this, but oh, uh, yeah, okay, the we, we have that we have. So, um, putting a pin on that, uh, I'm not conceding entirely, but I definitely see your point. And honestly, I don't know. Um, well, I'm excited for like you and all of these other projects to try things. I think this is like another exciting thing about this ecosystem because everything, everyone is doing everything in public. So, like, you, you know, when. Um, say like the working group structure that we had with the ENS DAO, um, I saw like what Gitcoin was doing, what MakerDAO did with core units, and then like created the working group structure that ENS DAO has. Um, and so I think just like acknowledging that just letting other people, you know, be the ones to lead and experiment and things like that. And there's plenty of time to implement and learn from others. Uh, yeah, I would actually love for you, and I think the team in the DAO would support this, but um, I, I would personally love for you to be one of the expert delegates, uh, one of the Dexy experts, uh, one of the sub DAOs that, uh, that's expert DAO, uh, and to see it from the inside and, and then to have this conversation again once you have uh, gone through that track and 
I think I've, I've learned a lot from your experience considering, you know, where you're coming from and experience you have, but yeah, that's obviously for after we launch. Uh, for now, I kind of want to say because there's not much time, but there's so many interesting things that are read on your website and on Twitter. Um, the, one of the, the two, three things that really caught my attention is the social environment and multiple social environments for that matter. But let's start with, with the basic, right? Social environment of a DAO and, and why it's important. And specifically for me, it was interesting when you mentioned the different uh, spaces that, that uh, are part of it, you know, in terms of not just the governance voting, but the Discord, Twitter, you know, et cetera, social spaces for people to have the discourse form, obviously. Uh, so with all of that in mind, uh, can you tell the audience a bit, because they might know less than I do about this, and certainly less than you, uh, what that means to have a social environment, a healthy social environment within the DAO. And, and then for me specifically, I'm really curious about which aspects, which parts, which spaces, wherever you want to call it, uh, are kind of essential for social environment and which ones are maybe, you know, a bit more noise than, than useful, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the reason that I got to this idea of like social environments um, is because people define DAOs in many different ways. And even just like within the Ethereum ecosystem, there are many different expressions of a DAO. So I would say at one end of the spectrum, you have like make a DAO and they have core units. And in my mind, it effectively is an organization that is operating as a company, um, but in DAO structure. Okay, and then at the other end of the spectrum, in my just in my head, um, you have nouns, and to me, nouns is kind of like the polar opposite of make a DAO, uh, in the sense that you basically have like no, um, like real infrastructure in terms of the DAO itself, and it really is just proposals that are being voted on to allocate funding, and then like that's what nouns DAO is like it's funding proposals that are put to the DAO. And I really liked that idea of a DAO. Like I personally, um, when I when I define ENS DAO in my head, like what exactly is the ENS DAO? The ENS DAO is the collective of token holders who delegate tokens and delegates who have been delegated tokens who vote on governance proposals. Okay, that's it. But then if you say that's it, it leaves all of this other stuff. Like, <laughs> what do we then do with, like, the funding? Like, who who builds ENS? Like, who tends to all of these things? Because a project or a protocol is, like, more than just it's just approving proposals, right? Someone has to do the work. I just think it's a question of, like, where, um, where that work takes place. And for me, by creating these like different social environments around the DAO, you're pushing the work outward from the DAO itself um, and pushing it to like third parties, whether it's like ENS Labs or the working groups or, you know, a service provider, whatever it may be. But I was thinking about like why this is important and why I want it, the ENS DAO to have this structure where there's no one actually in the DAO. Like the DAO members, in terms of workers, there there is no one. Like I'm the governance lead, but I work at ENS Labs. I don't work for the ENS DAO because no one does because <laughs> it's just it's just people voting on proposals. But like the reason that this is important to me is because when you think about the number of companies that were started in the last, I don't know, 10 years that 
are likely to still exist 10 years from now, it's probably not like a large, like a very large number. Like the number of companies that die out like within a decade or two is probably astronomical. And I don't imagine that that will be any different with DAOs. And I think the, like one of the surest ways to um, make sure that ENS as a project persists is to create the leanest version of a DAO itself. And for everything else that is funded around the DAO, that does the work, like all of this sort of stuff, that is like not the DAO. So if you took all that away, ENS would like, the ENS DAO would still stand. Um, and I think that just like increases its chance of survival. And as a public good, I feel like it is our priority to make sure in the first instance that ENS exists. Um, and I think that that DAO structure where you have like the DAO, which is just governance proposals, and then all of these social social propose, uh, social environments that are much more dynamic, that can change. It might be Discord like one year and then like maybe something ha will happen with Discord like next year and we'll all just be like, oh my God, that's awful. We just need to go back there. Um, we're just going to be on Twitter and discourse and things like that. But so you give yourself this flexibility that I don't think DAOs kind of maybe should have. And there's this like, because you want like DAOs to be Lindy effectively. And I think the best shot of that happening is, is if you kind of remove the social environments that are more dynamic, that are able to be iterated on and all those sorts of things, um, where all the people participate and do the work and where the money flows if you like move those away from the DAO and just to answer your second question what is like a social environment that I don't think a DAO could go without I have to say it's a governance forum I think like everything else could disappear but you know what it's like when you search on the internet you like search for like a random answer and some discourse forum will like pop up from like eight years ago I was like looking for a flight like a seat map for a flight <laughs> and I like landed on this um yeah, like a forum from like eight years ago. And again, because like discourse is like open source software, it's more likely to exist in the future and like anyone can maintain it or upgrade it and all that sort of stuff. And um, I just really like this idea that it's just like a time capsule or an archive of everything that happens in a DAO. Honestly, I think that in the very near future, we might be at a point where we're going to just ask ChatGPT, right? Like, hey, what was uh, Twitter or let's say Reddit claim were about that like lasted for three months and had like, you know, 3,000 uh, replies? What was the essence of that? What were the different positions? What were the arguments? And that's the same kind of thing for the DAO, right? Where ChatGPT yeah, is going to source all of it. Uh, obviously, it's open source, so just kind of query it and then say, oh, yeah, that was actually about the change in the NS Constitution the three most relevant opinions with this, this, and this, and ended up to three years later, it, it got to bite them in the ass in this way, or it worked out perfectly because this decision, and, and that's going to be kind of the the uh, extent of our intera interaction with all those different sort of spaces. That's kind of a cynical, apocalyptic uh, view of it. I'm hoping it's not going that way, but... Um, that aside, uh, since we're running out of time, the other thing I really wanted to ask you about uh, is, uh, and we talked about this before a lot, a little bit, uh, your matrix, right, of um, how to fund public goods. And this is a very important area, right? Uh, of course, uh, 
DNS has the proceeds from uh, the domain name sales, but for other publics in general, uh, as well as for DNS. So you talk about uh, the matrix of market failure versus how much value you can add to community. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that to the audience? Because I think it's a very cool way of visualizing it, if nothing else. Yeah. So, oh my gosh, this is like so old. I think it's like from July, 2021. So this post is like a post on public goods that I actually wrote before I joined ENS Labs. Um, I had just participated in Gitcoin Grants Round 10 and um, also just like coming, had just come into like the Ethereum ecosystem. I had a podcast um, called Crypto Native that I recorded and posted on YouTube. And um, yeah, it just got me thinking about uh, how we fund public goods. And obviously, you know, Gitcoin grants rounds have historically been like a major shelling point for the Ethereum community to fund public goods. And um, and so something that occurred to me, because I, I literally lived through this, was that when you come into the into the space, whether it's like crypto or Ethereum, um, most people like don't even know what a public good is. And with good reason. It's because we get to kind of float through our daily lives and normally governments... Um, fund the public goods that we need so that we never have to think about them you know we don't think about the fact that um we have you know militaries protecting us or access to clean air or street lamps or radio and things like that even though the, the kind of providers of those goods it's basically impossible like the traditional definition of a public good is like impossible to capture the value that they create there's like no mechanism that they can do that with. So they can't like gate it in any way and say like, no, you can't listen to my radio show unless you like pay me before you do it because it's like free. It's on, if you just like tune into a radio wave, it's there. Um, or you can't like walk on this part of the footpath because like then you benefit from the street lamp. Like you, you can't do that. So, um, but in Web3, there is no government. Um, in Ethereum, there's like no government. And um, so then it, it falls upon like the individuals or projects larger projects um to fund these things that are essential for us to continue to exist in this space um and i just think like it's really difficult to wrap your head around a definition of a public good in web3 that is accessible and makes sense so for me like the thing i guess like the you know like the x and y axis that i created for myself was like what is the impact of this? And, you know, different individuals define the impact differently, but we could talk about like ethers or WAGME or like, you know, these different libraries that are downloaded millions of times a month, like literally millions. It's, it's kind of insane um, to create dApps that we all use and love so that we can, you know, buy our NFT PFPs and stuff like that. Um, but those are open source software and libraries like there's no way once that code is like out in the world for them to capture the value that they create and so um yeah whatever someone's personal position on like what they deem as impact is like going along one side and then market failure along the other side which to me is just like can they make money um are they able to capture financially any of the value that they create and um so an example of this is like maybe impact is like a podcast so like um like the zero knowledge podcast that Anna Rose does I know is like hugely impactful in the ZK space um and in terms of market failure you might say like oh but a podcast can be monetized 
okay, cool. Well, then you can like take it down a few notches. Maybe that they've like chosen not to monetize it, but it can be. Or maybe they will monetize it in the future and then that's like a different story. Um, but there are also some things that like literally cannot be monetized. They like can't make the money. So it's really important that those things are funded. So I know there's like a really, sorry, it's hard to like talk about it without the image. I don't even know where the tweet with that image is. But if people go to like alicia.mirror.xyz or alicia.xyz, it's like a public goods post from July 2021. And yeah, I just think the whole point, the whole reason that we talk about public goods is because they need to be funded. In my opinion, everything that we're talking about when it relates to public goods is because we need to give them money and fund them. So it's really important that we have, I don't know, just like ways that better um, educate people to try to make great, good decisions when it comes to distributing funds. So we're running out of time. So I wanted to ask a few questions, but let's just make it rapid fire. Very easy questions. First of all, uh, or maybe not so easy, but here. Uh, based on this, let's say there's a project that will stop global warming for the next 50 years or maybe reverse it completely past 1% of succeeding, chance of succeeding. How popular do you think it will? How supportive it will be? And then the second last question is kind of a general thing that I ask everyone. Um, any projects you love, any DAOs you love that you want to just kind of like give a shout out to? Any people you love? Maybe really anyone that kind of you really love what they're doing. I want to give them a shout out. Okay. So the first one for me, something in my head is always that like public goods is retroactive, which is like, you have to do the thing. So if you can like minimize global warming for 50 years, like maybe just come ask for a grant in like year five and say like, we did this, give us money. Um, I think that this kind of, uh, Vitalik has spoken about this when he did like a post with optimism about retroactive public goods funding, which is just like, you're basically asking the public to gamble if we're awarding like forward-looking grants to public goods but the and this is still not an ideal solution obviously because it's retroactive and it means that there are only like a few you know privileged projects that are able to basically get to the point where they do make a difference and exist before they can ask for funding but i think that you know to the extent that there is like a limited amount of funding um that by awarding it to retroactive public goods, it's kind of like the best first step. And then I don't know if you have like lots of money and you can like start to look at forward-looking proposals and things like that, then sure. Um, okay. And then the second one is... Just what, a shout out to projects where people you really love. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, <laughs> well, there's lots of ENS people um, in this space who I think are incredible. And so um, I think that I don't really get out much, literally and also digitally. Um, I feel like I'm like very, very ENS based and I don't really have much of a life outside of ENS. So um, all of the people that I would want to give a shout out to are basically just like community members um, within the ENS community, like Drea and Spence and Evan um, and Hid, uh, because... I think like the thing that makes me the most excited about ENS is when I see people progress from just like users to community members to, I would say like community contributors. Um, and I think that we're just like so lucky with ENS that, um, that we 
have like so many community contributors and um, it makes everything, like it makes all of the time and sleepless nights, um, I think worthwhile because it's not just like me. There are like lots of people in the room um, who all care as much. Yeah, I get that. Um, okay. Um, we do need to wrap up, but there's someone who raised their hand and uh, how can we not give the voice to the community, especially since it might be an interesting question. I don't know. Let's find out. Uh, someone goes by digital. Uh, go ahead. And while you're connecting, I just want to remind people that Evan put a great link in the comments. I recommend you guys click on it. And um, also for those following us on Zeely, uh, the word, the keyword that you should know is governance, which is not all surprising because governance is very important to any sort of doubt. Uh, okay, with that in mind, let's see if Fidgetel is ready to speak. Fidgetel, uh, how's it going, brother? It's all you. Uh, hi, uh, Alicia. Just a quick question, um, since you seem to be heavily focused on DAOs and I've been super interested and involved for quite a while now. What are your thoughts or what are you guys doing at all uh, in terms of organizing the holders um, for the larger purpose of the DAO and me uh, mechanics or mechanisms to uh, essentially ensure the best, and by best I mean highest likelihood of, of engagement, um, aligned interests um, in terms of distribution and uh, community holders, as well as activities within DAO uh, in terms of voting thereafter, even if it is a flat DAO um, like now. Yeah, I think that um, in terms of community holders, you mean like with the ENS token, not the ENS names, right? Yeah, I mean the governance token. So in any DAO, yeah. a DAO has a specific goal, like, you know, not just an amorphous company, but a company with a, a charter, right? DAO would have a charter. Um, as to what it's doing with those funds, what focus do you put on, if any, in terms of the mechanics of organizing that pre-distribution? Oh, pre-distribution. Okay, that is tough. We actually do have an ENS staff constitution, and I would say this at times has been like quite at odds, or it can feel at odds with, say, like the really active um, ENS community. Uh, because there is like a strong focus on like the technical aspect of ENS, the protocol, uh, first and foremost. And so I think this, um, and, and this is like the way that I think about it, which is that like developers are at the heart of everything. Um, but like beyond the developers, like the sphere beyond the developers is the community. And so like there's no, it's no good having an incredible project like technically that no one cares about. Um, but also there's, there's no point like distributing whether it's like funds or tokens to a community who have nothing to um, like uh, nothing to support. And so I think just like finding that balance again, I would say what we're doing with ENS is hopefully this term like Q3, Q4 is just experimenting with more ways to like more different different types of voting mechanisms that use more than just a governance token that acknowledge that the community um, may not have been here in November 21. They may not have any governance tokens. Um, they may, uh, you know, kind of demonstrate their 
um, value in different ways and just like acknowledging that and experimenting with voting. I guess is your question about like initial distributions to the community? Uh, I guess, I guess the question now that you're answering it with your own answer, well, no disrespect whatsoever, um, was if you're, if you've been thinking about or working on or, or it's been on your radar in terms of uh, DAO structures in general and to have, right, most DAOs don't work by work. That means either they're not deploying the capital or they're not deploying the capital in a in a manner that reorders the ethos of the DAOs. And I'm a big believer that, um, like any community, right, the better you curate them, the higher the likelihood of the desired outcomes, that being the, the DAO intent. So things like gamification, uh, skill set testing, or, or uh, experience on or off chain uh, in terms of getting the highest likelihood of aligned, active, and accepted uh, voter, uh, voter, especially a, a, a tier 